Welcome, everybody, to People of Efrat, where we all get to learn more about this great community and the people that make it tick. Good morning, Ari Lev. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Tuesday morning. No, Wednesday morning. There you go. Okay. COVID times, my friend. Yeah, but I'm getting better. I'm getting better. At least I know the year, you know? Right? It Before, is 2021, <laughs> yeah, right? It is. It is. I've been writing like 2019, 2020, and never, I don't think it really existed. No, it, definitely it, not. It, it didn't happen. It really feels like, you know, we're here in March 2021, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, it was just March 2020. <laughs> How are we here again? How's it March again? Like, Purim. Right. Where did that come from? Right. It was just last part. Right. And now here we are again. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Yeah, it's really wild. I'm just, I'm just really happy, at least at this point, we're a year later, and it seems like things are opening up. Things there's, are opening there's, up. There's like some positivity in the air. There's some good vibes. You know, uh, here in Israel, where the five millionth person was uh, vaccinated, which was pretty cool. They heard the, the, the prime minister say that the other day. Um, so that's that's really really exciting. Uh, we were talking off air. I'll just get right into it. It's Go really it. exciting that like Efrat, a lot of Efrations have vaccinated, but they're now vaccinating the workers, the Poalim, the Palestinians who live in this neighboring village and the neighboring village next to us over there. Um, these are the guys who come in for work every day. Is about five hundred workers who come in every day oh i think at least maybe even uh closer to the seven eight hundred i mean we got a yeah. lot of projects going on i think yeah. we got the mall we've got the country club right because we're right. fancy like that right so we got our country club right, going of on. course and i think it's really cool because the frat's actually one of the few places in the country that's actually doing this vaccination for the palestinian workers that right. have work permits right and are these are the workers who come into our fraud? Are they just construction workers? Are there other you know other workers who come in? Maybe like I know for the Moetza must employ a few workers for Shefa for like the cleaning of the grounds and taking care of uh, oh yeah the municipal uh, areas and stuff. So like that. So we let in. Let's see, we've got uh, cleaners. Yeah. All the street cleaners are Palestinians that right. are let in. Uh, all the gardeners, right. pretty much. Uh, there's one family actually from Hebron. They've been doing the gardening here in Efrat for like 30 years. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And you know them. They know you. Yeah. You're wishing each other good morning and everything yeah, like that. Sure. I actually had an interesting story happen with that. Okay. So, you know, I, as you you know, as you may know, I'm on the Efrat, you know, emergency response team. So, you know, I'm always on Kitat alert. Keep right? Konanut, absolutely. And so I'm out just walking around the neighborhood and I see this guy. And he's an unfamiliar face because you know who's walking around your neighborhood. Sure. So I look at this dude and I'm like, okay, I see him once, you know, the my spidey signals going <laughs> off. Okay. But I'm like, you know what? I saw him once. He's probably legit. A little bit later, like, I don't know, like an hour later, he's just like walking by my house and he's like looking around and I'm like. He's not, not doing anything. No, he, he's just like kind of walking yeah. around like this dude's supposed to be gardening. Yeah. The guy gardened. Got he's it. supposed to be cleaning, let him clean, but he's right. not doing any of that. Right. So finally, I'm like, okay, all right. I'm What's going this over about? to this dude. What's this going on? Yeah. So I went over and I identified myself, showed him my ID, and I'm like, I'd like to see your two that zoo, please. And so he decides he's not going to give it to me. So at this point, of course, I get, you know, I call up the Bitachon and we get everybody involved. In the end, the guy was totally, you know, clean, cool, and everything like that. But I know I'd always rather be safe than sorry. Right. That's kind of how I see it. Right. Well, I love that. That sounds great, especially coming from someone who who's like one of the you know in the first response squad there to protect us. So, uh, wow, it's much appreciated. I'm sure you guys have 
a million and one stories. Oh yeah. And um, you know, we there's there's many incidents. Well, I wouldn't say many, but there are a few incidents that have happened over the years. Well, since I've been here for eight years, um, but I'm sure there are a lot of ones that we don't know about. Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, like, I I sort of wanted to ask you, like, how frequent are you guys called up? Like, you know, how often are do you go out in the middle of the night? So you know, what? It, if there's that, something suspicious or whatever. So it's actually interesting. It really depends on the period. Like right now, and you know, I don't want to like knock on wood or anything like that. Yeah. It's actually been quite a while. Right. Thank God. Right. Uh, to the point of where we have new members of the team that I've seen at like training once. Wow. Versus the guys that let's say when I first started, you know, five plus years ago, and like, yeah, there were times where it was almost nightly. Mm-hmm. Like when we had had. Um, that celebratory barbecue that lower PHK had thrown for us right? Uh, after what happened, you know, down uh, below. And that was a crazy night in itself. Mm. You know, the, the terrorists hiding under the car. Mm. Well, let's get into like, it. Let's go to a little bit of the story. So, I mean, I lived there. I lived on the street. And I'll, I'll tell you from my end what I what I experienced. And then maybe you could tell me um, what, you know, what you, you know and what you saw. So, I, I think it was it was the middle of the night or, or in the late hours, the late hours of the evening. Uh, we got a text message that there's been some sort of infil- infiltration. Um, before we know it, the place is crawling with army. Um, my The area where I lived at that point was connected to the access road behind the last row of houses on Pito Makatorit. And this is, I think, before Dagan was really built up yeah. and before Tamar was really built up. So you're, we're now in the in the furthest, most northernmost neighborhood, closest to Bethlehem, um, and um, it's pitch dark. Uh, I, that that access road is a beautiful area. I used to walk my dogs there all the time. I love it. Um, so uh, it's you know there's 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 someone a, a suspicious person apparently in, who's infiltrated uh, close to the issue. Um, so we get that text message. Um, we 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 do all the typical things we would do then. We we make sure that we were safe, our doors are locked, our chiefs are down, and we wait for more news. I hear army coming in and out because like as I was saying, we're par- we're on the access road, so the army's coming up from the road where they park down the steps through my backyard to this access road and uh, they're back and forth and back and forth. You hear a lot going on, my dogs are barking like crazy. Oh, Man, sure. my dogs, were they didn't stop barking that night. I think, you know, it's one nice thing about having the dogs. The barking tends to be a lot because they bark all the time. You could almost be like the crying wolf. But um, th- that night, I believe it was very helpful to us and for our safety. Um, so apparently something was going on. A long story short, we find out that later in the morning, hours in the wee hours in the morning, the the terrorist who had infiltrated was hiding in the bushes, not far from where my house was, behind one of my friend's houses. Um there were some uh, soldiers in a jeep waiting because uh, apparently they knew that he had come from that direction, um, and he tried to he opened the door, tried to kill one of the soldiers. He wounded him, and then he was neutralized. So that's pretty much what we know. I mean, there's more to our experience, but um, tell tell us a little bit more what happened on your end of things. So when you get that text message, oh, there was a drone too, and a, no. No, we didn't have the, we didn't there have was the drone a giant flares. flare that lit up the whole valley at one point. That yeah. was that was really cool. And spoiler alert, it yeah. actually uh, caused a fire afterwards oh, in the forest, that's which right. <laughs> happens with flares. So when you get yeah. that text message, at that point, we're probably already out for a good hour. Right. 
because we're only going to send that once we feel and once we have an indication of an actual threat. I mean, we know mm. that there's now somebody in a front. Um, they had picked them up on the cameras. You know, Frat, thank God, as much as we're, for the most part, a no-fence type of community, mm -hmm. which I think is really cool, we have a phenomenal group of cameras and radars and different things that cover almost 360 of a Frat. Mm -hmm. And we've got the wonderful Shirley girls sitting in the Moked 24-7. Mm -hmm. Moked's like the main office area where they have access to the first responders, um, you know, to direct them and to maybe contact with the army and um, information, get an information center, basically. Yeah, so it, it's, it's definitely like a command center. Yeah. I mean, they've got like eight different screens. Mm -hmm. They've got, they're able to watch everything. Mm -hmm. uh, which I've seen it, I mean, and they give tours of it. They so do. So it would be really neat if anyone's interested, take a look. It's a, it's a, it's a unique place. Especially yeah. if you're a certain family member who really needs to make Aliyah, <laughs> I'll personally arrange that tour for you. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Perfect. So um, that won't be the first. That won't be the last time we do that. This podcast. Oh, definitely. Okay, we can keep. Doing yeah, yeah, that. we're it's gonna keep good. doing that. Big advocate of Aliyah. You need to make Aliyah. <laughs> Everybody out there needs to make Aliyah. Go ahead. So they're going. They're already watching. Uh, they actually have one screen, which is really cool because on our radios that we all carry. Yeah. In the antenna, there's a GPS. Mm -hmm. And so they can actually see us and track us. Oh, wow. And see us on a screen. I okay. mean, we're a little dot, but they get to see us on the screen. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this guy had come in um, and he basically, he was approaching. Now, thankfully, we were, he saw us coming. Mm -hmm. And when you see mass amounts of army, I mean, we probably had a good three to 400 soldiers mm -hmm. here. Because, like, at that point, when you have a absolute infiltration which is what this was mm -hmm. everybody is coming in here police and everything like that just to time stamp this we were this is what three years ago four years ago no it's, it's already a little, already it's a, a while ago more. i think yeah. it was uh even closer to four years ago right quite a while ago right and so we go out we start looking at that point you know the army's showing up and then we kind of do like a buddy system because the army that comes in you know, these are random soldiers from anywhere in the mm -hmm. country. What do they know about a fraud? I mean, these are guys who, when they're told to come in in their Jeeps, mm -hmm. they literally turn on ways when they get into, like, the northern or southern e entrances mm -hmm. so that they know where to go. Mm -hmm. Like, that's how little they know a fraud. We on the emergency response team, on the other hand, you know, we know a fraud like Every the back of our hand. Every nook and cranny, right? So we buddy up. So then each one of us assigned a group of, like, six or eight soldiers, and that's when you start going house to house, garden to garden, you know, banging on the door, making sure that everybody's okay. Right. And uh, ultimately, I mean, this terrorist, I mean, I mean, y you got to give the guy props. He literally spent the night hiding under a car. Right. And I mean, when he came into and when he came in, it was under a car. Wow. Yeah. Um, when he came in, it was probably like 10 or 11 o'clock at night, maybe a little bit later on. Yeah, a little bit later. It was a bit closer to 12. Yeah. And, and we got the all clear at like 7 a.m. or 7.30 a.m. Wow. So now what's interesting is, is the fact that, you know, we walked by him. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a way sad to say this, but yeah. he was missed. I mean, af after he got arrested and the guy lived despite getting shot in the head, which is a crazy story. Mm -hmm. But when he reenacted, he said that one of the one of the army trackers, they were about 10 feet from him. Wow. And they didn't see him. And ultimately, we originally got the original all cleared about 530 in the morning. Right. right. And it was just like, OK, the guy probably turned around and that was it. 
And then one Jeep was left back. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was actually a reserve soldier unit. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, the guy went to sleep. Mm -hmm. You know, no, hey, no judgment. Yeah, he's out all night. But he's been out all night. Things are winding down. That's all clear. The the terrorist, like, Mm -hmm. opens up the door of the Jeep and literally stabs him in the armpit. Mm -hmm. And then his driver, so they go tumbling out of the Jeep. And then the driver comes out of the Jeep. Mm-hmm. Goes around and now you got to take a careful shot because he's literally grappling with the with right. the officer, and ultimately he ends up aiming and shooting him in the head, but the bullet only grazed his skull, mm-hmm. and he survived. Wow! And now he's going to sit in an Israeli prison and get educated. <laughs> That's something that you know I I don't get. Mm-hmm. You know, so many families are just torn apart by by terror attacks, and. These guys then get to go to prison. They get many rights. They mm-hmm. have cable TV. They get degrees. And then not to mention, meanwhile, back home, their families are being compensated. They're mm-hmm. being paid. And they even have a pay By scale. who? Say by who? They're paid by the Palestinian Authority, right. generally by the Hamas. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is funding that's sent in from different you know, Arab countries around the world. Mm-hmm. And there's a pay scale. Mm-hmm. The more people you injure or kill, God, oh man, the more crazy. money you're making. And, you know, these. this is a guy who, think about it, he stabs a soldier. He's going to go to prison. He'll probably sit for, you know, like maybe 10, 15 years. He'll have the ability to walk out of prison, essentially a millionaire with a master's degree. Hmm. And that's crazy. That that mm-hmm. just, you know, that to me is just mm-hmm. wrong. Right. And that's that's something that, you know, we need to do better. Right. You know. Everybody wants to live and let live. I'm all for, you know, living and let living. You know, we cohabit, you know, we live really with the Arabs right here. Uh, yeah, well, I want to get into that more also because we were talking about that, how that, the workers come in. Before, I'll let you finish what you're saying, what you're saying. Yeah. And I think, you know, look, there's also nice stories. You know, there's yeah. been times where, you know, one um, Simchat Torah, we got called out. We were out all night because basically people heard a girl screaming. Yeah. And then the thought was that she was dragged out of a fraud and into one of the Arab villages. Oh, no. In instances like that, we actually call our neighbors in the local villages right behind us. Right. And they'll I actually remember he- this story. They'll help us. Yeah. And they'll go out and then they'll do their own searches yeah. and everything like that. In the end, I mean, it was nothing. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it was some girl who had fought with her, you know, I don't know, her boyfriend or something. They never left the fraud. Uh-huh. But. You know, this causes a lot of problem. I mean, I went at like 730 in the morning. Yeah. We were all assigned to go into the local shoals in our neighborhood. Right. I remember Stop this. davening. Yeah. And go, if you have a teenage daughter at home, right. go home. Go check on her. And go check on her. And right. I remember I walked into the uh, big remontial and the chazan literally, who had a teenage daughter, yeah. literally stops davening as a chazan. Yeah. And just goes... <laughs> so. I'm out. I got to go home. Listen, when you have teenagers, you need to check up on them. Oh, I can believe me. You know, uh, you know, they say little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. Uh-oh. So it's it, it's interesting. I'm not there yet. You'll have to give me some uh, tips. Oh, I, some I, I'm there. I'm there, my friend. Yeah. I've got, thank God, you know, despite being 39 years old, I've got an 18-year-old daughter. Wow, beautiful. Doing Shiverlu Me and Shari Tzedek. Wow. And she's loving it, which is wow. great. Super proud of her. And I got another daughter who's 16 and she's in 11th grade. Yeah. I've got my stepson or my bonus son, as I should say. Oh, beautiful. And he's in ninth grade. It's so a nice way a, to look at it. It bonus is. Son. Listen, you know what? Yeah. They're bonus children. Yeah. If you look at it that way, it just makes everything easier. Mm-hmm. You know, look, it's not easy. Blending a family is never easy. You know, I could, I could write a book. 
but it's just very fulfilling. It's so funny that the epitome of the, the, the vision of that is that I always think of the Brady Bunch, right? Yeah. And it's like, of course, it could be that it's this beautiful thing, but it's still children, right? <laughs> kids are kids. Kids are kids. Yeah. Siblings fight. Yeah. And, you know, apropos the the Brady Bunch, we actually call ourselves the Blended Bunch. Nice. Because we were a blended family. Beautiful. And that's really awesome. Let's rewind a little bit. Let's go. We got off on some awesome tangents. <laughs> um, we were talking about how the our, our Palestinian neighbors, the workers, the 500 plus workers are now coming in to get vaccinated. Um, these are, So these are basically workers, people who live in the towns next to us. And um, the idea is, I mean, first off, to give them the, the much needed vaccination that they need. Um, and the fact is that they're coming into our town. And if most of the people here are protected and have some kind of like uh um vax you know the vaccination um the idea is that if there's some outside factor that's also kind of like you know that that would kind of mess with things so i i think on one end it's a very good practical thing and on the other end it's a very beautiful thing um you're talking about some good stories um i had there was one of the guys who i don't know if he's one of the from the family of chevron that you from chevron that you're talking about but this this one older man he you know him he walks all around the front um he's he's one of the cleaners he's always got a smile on his face he's always saying hi to me i sometimes i bring out i bring him out of cafe shakur nice you know um and um it's there's 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 a serious language barrier there because i don't speak arabic and and um and our our hebrew interaction is very limited um but you know it's it's a nice it's a nice beautiful uh interaction um also at the north entrance i've been going to the mechanic up there for uh, sure. for a yeah. while um those guys have been great they did a head gasket job on my first car for literally nothing and it gave it brand new life and it was amazing i sat there the whole time chatting with them and hanging out with them um, good guys, right in the front, right in the by the entrance of a frat. A hardware store there has pretty much got everything you could possibly want, and and ever dream of have uh, needing when you want to uh, do some work on your house. So the co the 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 coexistence thing is is a real thing. Absolutely. It's really happening. Obviously, you see a lot of a lot of the uh, the other end. Um, you know the the protection of of our town and. And unfortunately, some you know acts of uh, terrorism and infiltration. Um, but I, there is that good side, and I think that's a beautiful thing. Especially, what's nice is in Afrat, you're really exposed to it. You're really oh, here. Yeah. Came from America, and you know you only know what you know from the watching the news and from uh, you know for speaking with other people who have experiences and to have like years of firsthand experience living here in Gushatzion is really a beautiful thing because you really understand what status quo means and you also understand like when things are bad when the weather's bad I say you know how to act and how to how to protect yourself so um what are the things that you think that people should be aware of like when they're out and about um, just in general. Right now, it seems to be a pretty calm period, which is really it's a, nice. It's actually not. It's interesting that you say that. Yeah. In the past few days, seems to be. there have been yeah. multiple terror attacks. Uh -huh. Some even here locally. Uh, the What was it, two nights ago? Yeah. 
um, some guys had come up with Molotov cocktails and they were throwing it at the tunnel road, like mm-hmm. right near the turnoff to Beitar. Right. Um, That's were, like right, right outside of Jerusalem, basically. After yeah, Gilo. between yeah. us and yeah, between yeah. us and Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And uh, you had a uh, Palestinian woman walk into Chava Ephraim, the Ephraim farm that's in uh, Binyamin. Mm-hmm. And she walked into a house and tried stabbing, you know, the woman who lived there. Mm-hmm. And they were able to neutralize her. Uh, you had a soldier who was on a navigation up north and uh, four Arabs grabbed him. Right. And they ended up uh, stealing his gun. Hmm. Thank God they were all caught. He's okay and everything's okay there. Um, but there's been quite a few things going on. Um, and thank God, look, a, a lot of this doesn't make the mainstream news. Right. And that's really what's crazy is that so much of this, you know, you talk about, you know, things that, you know, you don't know about what we do yeah. here. That's on a national level. I mean, the army is working day and night, you know, both, you know, here in Israel and abroad and, 90% of it just you'll never hear about mm-hmm. but you know our soldiers and I my hat you know absolutely goes off to every soldier in activity or in reserve duty like myself and yeah. it's just incredible and my hat really goes off to them and they they keep us safe you know yeah. I love you know on Shabbat you know when you go to Shul and you say the prayer for the soldiers I think that's huge I think that's a prayer that needs to be said in any you know Shul anywhere in the world sure and I think I think that's beautiful. And look, you got to be in general, you got to just be, you know, you got to be aware of your surroundings. And that's that's really what it is, is that you got to know who's around you, you know, whether you're standing at a bus stop, walking down the street. You just want to be aware of what's going on. And what's interesting is, is that if you look at most of the terror attacks that have happened here in Israel, about 70 to 80 percent of them are actually the terrorists is actually neutralized mm-hmm. by a civilian right especially when you're talking about like in a city it's very rare that it's either you know a policeman or a soldier it's usually some armed civilian you know kind of i guess right place right time type of uh, scenario and off you go right and you got to be ready at any time you know, that that that's, you know, to me, it's such muscle memory at this point of where, you know, when it's go time, you go, you you just you you do what is against human nature. You run towards danger as opposed to running away from it. Um, I actually had a story. Uh, this is uh, even before I joined the Kitako Nanude. So one night I'm driving home from work and, you know, this is pre-COVID days where, you know, you're going to actually stop yeah. at the hitchhiking post and right. let a random stranger into your car. <laughs> okay. And so I stopped. This is in Gilo, right, you know, right at the corner of Jerusalem. And two people get in my car. So in the front seat next to me, some, you know, teenage kid gets in. And then literally as I'm about to drive off, this guy comes from the back of the car, or back from back of the crowd. He's wearing a black velvet keeper that looks as real as you know i don't know like it clearly off, didn't off, off the set of a of a off of a, movie this, right, of a bad movie right yeah. and um he's wearing like this bigger jacket and his hands are just stuffed in his pockets right that's odd and so oh for sure and so he gets in my car and i'm like okay something's happening right now and so i identify that something's off so i turn around to the guy and i at this point i'm not armed all right, I'm not yet. I don't have my guns that I have today. And so it's just me and this dude. And so I turn around and I said, where are you from? So in a very Arabic sounding accent, accent he goes, Hebron. 
Dromhar Hevron. I'm like, okay, here we go. So meanwhile, a teenage kid sitting in front, and he's just like watching this going on. He's like, I'm out. And he gets out of the <laughs> oh, car. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. He's like, I'm not yeah. playing. I'm out. So yeah. he gets out of the car. Smart kid. Very smart kid and absolutely the right thing to do. And anybody who finds himself in that situation, if you're not trained or able to, you know, assist in the situation, yeah, go, 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 go get somewhere safe. And so I turn around at him at this point and I'm being very aggressive with him because something that they don't do well with is somebody being aggressive with them. Um, Confrontation. Yeah. I'll tell you a story about actually a terrorist attack that happened in a fraud of where things did not end well for the terrorist because the guy he stabbed went after him, which Mm -hmm. was very cool. So I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, give me your ID. And he goes, why? I said, give me your ID right now. So at this point, he's like debating what I do, what I do. And the guy gets out of my car and takes off. So I call the police at that point, And then they went to search for him. But like, you know, I just posted this on Facebook afterwards. Right. And again, as a public service announcement, nothing, nothing more than that. And people are like, oh, my God, you need to say Hagomel now and everything like that. I'm just thinking to myself, like, I don't know, to me, I, I, I didn't really feel in danger. I just felt prepared and ready and. Yeah, if I needed to grapple with this guy or whatever it was, or if he was going to pull out a knife, like right. I'm running these scenarios right. in my head all the time. Just to explain, like someone who's coming from that area and you're going towards Jerusalem, it could be a very dangerous scenario. He's sitting in your car. That that means you could get him across a checkpoint. That means he can have access to the, your city, access to yeah. your town um, that he normally wouldn't have access to. And... Um, I mean, there, there's no good reason for him necessarily be getting into your car. No, absolutely not. And yeah. it was, look, I, I can't tell you at the end of the day what his intentions were. Yeah. I can't tell you if his plan was to, you know, do recon, try to see, okay, is this a, an effective way to get myself into a fraud or into another, you know, neighborhood or city? It could be many different things. You know, something that I don't think the, the, the terror groups get enough credit for is they're, they're very, very smart. They will do their recon. They will go ahead and they'll scout out a location first. They put a lot of work. They work in cells and there's a lot of, you know, brainwashing and manipulation over there. You know, Mm -hmm. they, they prey on, let's say if I'm a teenage Palestinian boy, I'm 17 years old, you know, maybe my dad's out of the picture and, you know, I'm now providing for my family and somebody comes over to me and, you know, brings me into the mosque and, you know, makes you know, makes me feel welcomed and then starts telling me about how you want to be a hero. You want to be a martyr. You know, you go and do this. Your family will be taking care of the rest of your life. You get to sit up, you know, next to Allah, 72 virgins, all all the fun things that they supposedly, you know, get. And they're like, okay, I'm going to do this. And the crazy thing is, is that there's always a fail safe for them. And what I mean by that is, you know, thankfully, this isn't as common anymore. But, you know, I've lived in Israel since 91. I made Aliyah when I was nine. Mm. And I've unfortunately seen countless, and I mean countless, terror attacks. Uh, I've had friends injured. I've had friends killed. And, you know, every time it seemed to get closer and closer. But bus bombings were super common. Right. And it wasn't just, you know, bus bombings. It was bombs everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of these things are not even known to the public. Uh, for example, the Sparrow bombing, which was absolutely tragic. Mm-hmm. The terrorist had the bomb in a guitar. It was in 99? I think so. Yeah. And uh, he had the, the bomb was in a guitar. 
Mm-hmm. And he actually had long hair. He bleached it blonde so he wouldn't stand out in the crowd. Uh, the double bombing in the Machne Hudashok, mm-hmm. the bombs were in watermelons. The Dolphinarium attack. The guy went and stood in a crowd of teenagers and he had a drum. And he was in the drum. Wow. So they get creative, you know, they add, you know, whether it's, you know, nuts and bolts, these little like metal pellets to make it just that more lethal and the radius, you know, be that much worse. And any one of these bombers, there's always a guy watching him with a remote detonator. So that way, if the guy chickens out and won't do it, the 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 guy who's watching him will detonate him. So there's no... There's no chickening out at the last moment. There's no remorse or regret. And the thing is, some of them do. Some of them get to that point and it's now, you know, it's go time. And they just don't do it. What happened that time in uh, in Efrat where the where the terrorist was, conf- where there was confrontation and it didn't go well? You were talking about that before. Right, correct. So, it's, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, I remember this. I remember this very, very clearly. So it's Friday night. Yeah. I'm sitting down to have my Shabbat meal with my family. I'm literally like cutting into the chicken. I haven't even taken a bite yet. Okay. My radio go my radio goes off and it's like, okay, active live terror attack here in Afrat. So go time, you know. I leave my wife, leave my kids, and off I go. And what happened was is the there's a couple walking here in Afrat, and the guy usually is always armed. He says, To this moment, I don't know why I didn't have my gun on me. So they went for a pre-Friday night meal mm-hmm. walk. I remember this incident too. And so he's walking with his wife and all of a sudden he feels these like four whacks on his back. He said originally that he had thought that it was just a buddy going, hey dude, what's up? And like clapping him on the back. Yeah. His wife looks and sees that there's a terrorist standing behind him with a knife and wow. he stabbed him four times, three in the back, one in the neck. So she starts screaming. Now, most people in this point, you know, they're going to go down. They're going to panic. This guy, what a man. He turns around, shoves the terrorist with his hands, puts up his fist like old school, like, put up your dukes, man. He puts up his fist and goes, go, let's go. And so they're standing about maybe, you know, social distancing right before it was a thing. They're about six feet apart. The terrorist has the knife up. He's going, Allah, Akbar. And meanwhile, the, the guy who lives here, is sitting there with his arms up going, let's go, let's go, come on, let's go. And so at this point, what's going through the guy's head is, wait a minute, this this isn't how it's supposed to right. be. Right, I just stabbed him I stabbed him time. four times. Four times. Why is he not down? Wow. Why is he not bleeding out? Like, why is he fighting with me? And the second he realized that, he took off mm. and he ran away. Mm-hmm. And uh, he ran away. There was a car waiting for him in one of the local villages. And... Uh, you know, the here, we always get our man. Sometimes it takes a few weeks, a few days, sometimes a few years. But they always get their man. And they did. It took them two years to yeah. actually track him down and be able to find him. But they found the guy. But it's in scenarios like that where if you're vigilant enough and you you fight them off, they're, they, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to handle that right. situation. There was actually... Um, a few weeks ago, there was a guy from uh, Tapua, you know, that's up in northern Shamron. Right. And he's standing at the Trempiata, you know, at the hitchhiking post, and he's waiting to just, you know, get a ride. And this guy walks up to him and tries stabbing him. And at that point, keep in hand is, you know, pairs are flying everywhere. And he's just like kicking the guy. And he was able to get away because of that. 
And when you show, like, the best thing you could possibly do is just show no fear. Scream. Yell. Like, be aggressive. That will throw them off. This is obviously if you're in harm's yes. way. God and, forbid. Uh, and you're, you're right there in the thick of it. Obviously, if you could get to safety, you do that. But if someone's right in front of you attacking you, you say the best thing to do is to whatever aggressive we're at, however they're coming at you double that oh yeah, yeah. you got to be more aggressive it, it'll yeah. deter them it'll scare yeah. them off look first things first unless you're armed or trained or know what you're doing if you can get away get away run it's super important let people who know what to do they'll take care of it. if however you're trained or you know know how to protect yourself or everything like that yeah if you can stop yeah what's going on and whether it's, you know, to protect yourself or protect, you know, the many bystanders that are around you, you want to go ahead and do that. And mm -hmm. that's super important. Wow. Now I do need to cut over to your sister for a moment. I just want to say this though. <laughs> I know we're talking a lot about terror attacks and everything like that, but there isn't a more safe country, especially in this day and age with anti-Semitism flying absolutely everywhere. You know, a, a member, a player on the, on the Miami heat, just, you know, he's live on uh, Twitch throws out some anti-Semitic racial slur. Yeah. And, you know, that's happening now, 2021, on, you know, a professional athlete. And he, of course, and, you know, issued an apology, and I didn't know, and I'm right. going to get educated. I'm educate yeah, myself. Yeah, yeah, yada, yada, yada. Sure. But the point is, is that there isn't a more safe place. I feel fully ready and willing for my kids to walk around, hang out with friends, and there is no place safer than living in Israel. So make Aliyah. This is a good segue because you mentioned earlier that you came in the 90s, 91. Yeah. You were nine years old then? I was. And what was that like? Your family made Aliyah all together? Yeah, we did. You know, it's funny. People ask me Where'd you come from? So I came from Toronto, Canada. Yeah. And what's funny is, you know, in, in, in this day and age... Oh, you're Aliyah, not even American? You're a Canadian? Well, before you go and knock on us yes. more superior people from Canada, uh, I am actually an American citizen as well. Okay. I am a tri-citizen. Wow. Yeah, killer on taxes, but yeah, I, I'm a tri-citizen. You're actually able to hold three passports. I do hold three passports. Wow. American, Canadian, and Israeli. I wonder if there's another scenario where you could tack on another one or two passports there. I probably could. I That's really you know, interesting. I didn't know now, you can... now they're offering passports yeah. to like, you know, if you're like, trace your ancestors back to Portugal, you can sure. become a From Portugal. the time of the Inquisition or That's whatever. right. So you can go ahead and do that. But, uh, you know, it's funny that people ask me, you know, they, they do the math. They're like, oh, so you made Aliyah in uh, 91 as a nine-year-old. And for some reason, the follow-up question to that is always, did you make Aliyah with your family? So when I'm in a sarcastic mood, which is more often I than not. I was nine years old, bro. What do you expect? <laughs> no, no. So I look people, you know, in yeah. the eye and I'm like, I say to them, I'm like. When you were nine years old. So, no, I'm like, I was a very precocious nine-year-old. Yeah, <laughs> I did make Aliyah myself. And they look at me and they're like, really? I'm like, no. I definitely did not make Aliyah I think, as a I think the question there is, it's kind of like a, a um, it's like an unspoken thing. Did you make, did you make Aliyah when you were nine years old? by choice with your family. Meaning, right, you're nine years old and your family makes Aliyah, right? So is this something that you wanted to do? Is this something that um, you just kind of had to go along with it? So I kind of, look, I yeah. love that I'm here. I'm so happy that it happened. Yeah. But no, as a nine-year-old, you're, you're not Even asked. all your friends. 
Yeah, you're, you know, you're leaving everything behind. Everything you're leaving your precious Canada? That's right. Hey, Toronto's <laughs> a beautiful place. Okay. And uh, no, you're not asked. Yeah. You know, as a nine-year-old, it's kind of like, this is the family decision. This is what we're doing. And, you know, off you go. Right. And, you know, the, the whole Eyal process, you know, went very quickly. You know, this is, of course, way before the days of, you nefesh know, Nefesh Benefesh. Yeah. You know, I remember my dad, you know, in his broken Hebrew, you know, we went down to like, you know, Misrata Klita, you know, because they hadn't transferred, you know, the South Klita money, which today is just a direct Automatic deposit thing. into your bank account. And he's yelling at them in broken Hebrew and like, <laughs> you know, it's just a disaster. So it's funny that you ask because, you know, when, when I made Aliyah. Yeah. So this is where I felt gypped by the system. Okay. Because, you know, I'm learning, in, you know, in, a, in a Nitivata Torah, Jewish day school. And in my books, this is in Toronto. This is in Toronto, and I'm learning in my books, like, oh, you know, Tubishvat comes, and the weather's nice, and you know, you know, Pesach comes, Avivi Gia Pesach Ba, springs here, and everything like that. So here in my head, I'm like, you know, I'm coming from Canada, where it snows like twenty, you know, <laughs> you know, like twenty eight days out of thirty days a month in the winter. Sure, and. Here I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to make Aliyah, you know, spring's going to come along, winter's going to be a joke, and off we go. So the winter before I made Aliyah, the winter of 91, it rained a total of three times the entire winter. The, the country was in a horrible drought. My luck in the winter of 92 was the year of the multiple blizzards. I, I remember that. That was crazy. The Northeast got hit so hard. So you think the Northeast got hit? Yeah. Israel got hit. It was like the worst winter that Israel had seen in like oh, 140 wow. years. It was that bad. All my friends are like, what did you bring with you from Canada? Oh, like, so why? <laughs> and and so I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not what I was being sold in school. Right. This is not, you know, here, you know, to be schmutz We're supposed to be going to the better weather. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, how did I go from like, literally it was like, if I was expecting the spring, you know. We had, uh, you know, sent our stuff on the lift, you know, and this was, you know, 30 years ago almost. So lifts took a lot longer. Mm -hmm. Getting it out of customs took a lot longer. So, you know, this snow had hit and our, our, our winter coats hadn't even come yet. Wow. So that was, you know, crazy. Where did you guys itself. move to? So we made Aliyah to the absorption center in Kfar Dumim. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, it's crazy. You go from living, you know, in a house. That's like outside Malay Dumim, north of Yushalayim, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, actually, south of Jerusalem. We're on the... No, correct. Sorry. North yeah. of Jerusalem. You're right. Um, yeah, it was a much smaller Yishuv than it and is And that today. really is more desert. Like, that, oh, that's yeah. really much more desert than even where we are right it now. It was super desert. Yeah. And I remember just, like, getting, getting off the plane. Snow. Oh, my gosh. And, like, yeah. you know, we go to our caravan. Now, imagine, like, you know, you're coming from Canada. We lived in a house. Not a big one, but you live in a house. And now you're living in a caravan. And that was just, like, crazy. Yeah. You know, to go, the, the culture shock. Again, you know, you don't really get this, I guess, as a nine-year-old. Yeah. But, like, the culture shock you go through. Mm. And it's, like... Where am I? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have all of, you know, one other English speaking kid mm -hmm. in my grade. And uh, we ended up fighting very early on in the year. I, so when did things get better? So I don't know as a kid, as a nine year old, you yeah. kind of just adapt. You just want to do, you know, you, you, you know, I, I was able luckily to learn the language very quickly. You know, I do thank the fact that I got into a fight with that kid yeah. who spoke English. I, I thank him in a way because I was forced with the decision of either learn Hebrew mm. or don't have friends. And I'm a, you know, a very social guy. So 
I learned Hebrew very quickly. I picked it up quicker than any of my siblings, older or younger. Right. And I learned Hebrew that way. So I thought that was, you know, I guess, you know, you know, hindsight 2020, everything's right. better in, you know, perspective. But that helped me learn Hebrew very quickly. Do you feel like uh, that 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 aspect of learning Hebrew, that that experience, that choice you made, you know, the the toiling to learn it, do you think that helped build character for you in a way where if you had stayed in Toronto, maybe, you know, things would have been a little bit easier and perhaps you'd maybe would have turned out a little bit different. Just talking about that one aspect of kind of like roughing through it, learning that language, you know? Oh, I mean, I think, you know, it, I think it goes deeper than, than just the language. But yeah, there's no question that the trajectory of what, you know, my teenage years would have looked like in Toronto and ultimately what my friends who, you know, kind of stayed there and what their teenagehood looked like yeah. versus, you know, growing up here and... Yeah, you take the average Israeli 18-year-old, the average American, Canadian, Anglo 18-year-old, and they're just in different worlds. I mean, think of the fact that, you know, I'm an 18-year-old from, you know, Canada, the U.S., wherever, and now I'm coming to Israel for my, you know, year of, uh, you know... Your year off. My year off, <laughs> of my everything. year of independence, you <laughs> sure. know, and like, no, you know, your parents are not there, and... And you, know, you get into the Your crazy year to do. learn Torah and connect to the yeah, land. Okay, yeah, and... yeah, that's definitely <laughs> what's happening. In, yeah, definitely. And so, you know, versus, you know, here at 18, yeah. you're generally, you know, going into the army. And then all of a sudden, you know, you find yourself in scenarios that you would have never imagined. I mean, right. I remember when um, I was just four months in the army. I just finished basic training and it's Rosh Hashanah night, 2000. I'll never forget this. And I'm sitting, you know, on a Jeep on the Jordanian-Israel border. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like, you know, what am I doing here? I'm just guarding the flies and everything like that. And one of the uh, Bedouin trackers who had, you know, been in Lebanon and everything, he looks at me and he's like, Ari? He's like, shh. He's like, do not say <laughs> things. You don't know what you're opening up. You know, you don't know the Pandora's box you're going to open up. And lo and behold, he could not have been more right. The very next day is when the third Intifada started. Oh, Lord. And I found myself, you know, I'd been off duty, but I was on call. And we get called up. And basically another little army base in the area, there were terrorists surrounding it. They had lit the field on fire around it. They're throwing glass bottles and stones and everything. And the people on this little, you know, base, you know, they were kind of, you know, they weren't combat soldiers. They don't really know how to protect themselves. So we show up. There's a, you know, border police, you know, jeep there as well. And we're standing behind this concrete wall and there's glass and rocks and everything just raining down on us. And, you know, my commander gave the shoot to kill order because, Mm -hmm. you know, we didn't even have now you have. You know, after that, we got prepared with all the anti-riot gear, rubber bullets, tear gas, flashbang bang didn't grenades. didn't know what it meant, really. But yeah, it was like, yeah. you know, and I'm four months in the army at this right. time. And like he basically said, if they cross the wall, which means at this point they were in the base. This is the late 90s, second intifada time, right? No, this is uh, no, this is uh, third intifada. This is right. This is when Ariel Sharon had famously gone up to Harabite. Right. And that incited everything. I mean, whatever. They were looking for an excuse, mm-hmm. right? Anything incites them. And, you know, all of a sudden, and that launched all those, like, right. terror And this is when you're in the Army. Yeah, and this is when I'm, you know, in the Army. Doing this your launched service, yeah. the, uh, you know, Oslo Accords and sure, everything like that. 
And it's just crazy how from that moment on, just the turning point of my army career where, you know, you're going, you know, the, the way it works is you're supposed to do four months active duty, four months training. And that's how you kind of go through your army service. And it's like every single training got either canceled or, you know, got really shrunk down into like six weeks because you just needed to be on active duty. Oh, wow. There was such a need. Um, the army actually opened up an entire separate like battalion mm-hmm. called the it's now called the, you know, the Kfir Brigade. Um, and that's you know, that was born from that need because you had your standard, you know, you had Nahal and Sanchanim, you know, the paratroopers, Golani, Givati, and they were very good at, you know, dealing with the different areas. Hebron, Lebanon, Gaza. Sure. But the your day-to-day run of the mills, okay, we're now here in Beit Lechem and Janine and Shem and all those different places. And the army wasn't built or set up that way for that urban fighting, which is very different. You know, you can't apply the the, the, law, the rules of warfare, whether you're just like running up the hill here, you know, in a forest mm-hmm. versus when you're going house to house and how you, you know, you need to go about that. And, you know, the army, you know, designed, built, purchased, you know, many different weapons to kind of combat that. And so they actually made an entire new brigade that their specialty is working within Israel in the quote unquote West Bank. And that's kind of how that spawned. And it all happened then. Wow. Um, you know, you even had, you know, you was know, there like a retraining for you guys on active duty? Yeah. Or absolutely. it was on the fly kind of thing. You had look. Yeah. <laughs> In times like that, it's like you got to learn stuff on the fly. You know, things that, you know, you weren't used to doing, right. like you got to do. I mean, all of a sudden there's new protocols and yeah. this is how things are happening. This is what we need to do. Absolutely. This is, this is our new way of acting in any given situation. For mm-hmm. sure. I mean, you got to learn, you know, when you're in a in urban combat, you know, you've got civilians, you've got, you know, what the what they used to do is, you know, you just stick your hand out the window with like an AK-47 and you just spray bullets that way. And it was very difficult even for the snipers to take these guys out because mm-hmm. they're just sticking their arm out. So, you know, Israel, we're a very smart country. So we went off and got the Barrett. Now, the Barrett is classically a hunting rifle. Don't ask me why you would need to possibly shoot anything with a 50 cal- caliber bullet. But, right. <laughs> you know, you're talking about something that's effective. It's at very powerful. 2,000 yards. You know, the bullets are like this yeah. big. I was in Vegas a couple years ago. We went to we went to a range, and they're like, do you want to shoot the big one? <laughs> like, all right, America. Let's do it. America, yeah. <laughs> one shot with that thing, man. Right, I, and it was like on it was on a tripod. Of course, I had the I had the I had it butted up against my shoulder. One shot had a little bruise on my shoulder. I felt that kickback, but wow, holy cow, is that thing powerful? Oh yeah, and, unreal. And we made it more lethal here in Israel. Yeah. So, you know, it's a very strong gun bullet in general. We made a specially designed bullet with an explosive head. This thing can go through it's like a mini bunker buster. Yeah, it is. It wow. can go through. A meter, which is 3.3 feet of wow. reinforced concrete. Wow. You know those like square concrete blocks yeah. you see like at roadblocks or whatever? It can go through one of those. That's unreal. So what we started doing, what the army started doing is, Tara sticks his hand out the window with this AK, you shoot him through the wall. And that's what they did. Wow. And that became a deterrent. Mm-hmm. So, 
But, you know, it's, it's crazy about how you don't think of these things when you're in the moment. Like, I remember when I was stationed, you know, in Psagod, right outside Ramallah. Oh, wow. You were in Psagod. Oh, yeah. And they would fire. This was at the heydays of where, yeah. you know, they're, they're firing, you know, into Psagod, like, nonstop, daily, day and night. And, like, I remember there were times where, like, you know, I'm sleeping. They start shooting. You just roll out of bed, grab your gun. You're not even getting dressed. Right. And you're just going out there and you're getting into a legit firefight with them wow you know and i was a sharp shooter so you know i had my special post that i would go into and everything did you have that 50 cal no i wish i got to shoot it but (laughs) no i wish i had gone and done the bear training you know that's a whole that's a whole different course in its own right sure and you know it's just a crazy reality to live in and it's like at the time like you're just so pumped full of adrenaline and you know you're in a firefight and then afterwards after like you know the shooting stops and you look behind you and there's bullet holes about one, you know, I don't know, let's say six inches above your head. Unreal. And it's like at the time, you're just like, yeah, yeah shooting. no idea what's and happening. Like, yeah, the adrenaline's pumping. Yeah. And then you see that and you're like, whoa. Wow, I like, they, literally this just ended. dodged a bullet. Yeah, literally, yes. Yeah. And, you know, this could have ended very, very differently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's like, and you don't even think about it at the time. And that's, that's the truth is that it just kind of, you just act. And that's, uh, you know, I learned something from uh, one of my officers very early on. Really smart guy. He's actually a uh, pediatric doctor today in Hadassah. Hmm. Uh, incidentally, he was, you know, talking about going full circle. When my youngest, uh, Adva, was born four and a half years ago, the doctor who came to check her out before she was released from the hospital was my officer oh, wow. from the army. Unreal. So, yeah, yeah. That nice went, little like, reunion. Oh, yeah. That went full circle, which yeah. is really cool. That's beautiful. So I'm in basic training and we're sitting in a classroom setting and he goes, all right, 10 seconds, everybody get up on your chairs. So no, listen, your officer says, get up on the <laughs> get chair. Get up on your chair. You get up on your chair. Right. You know, you don't want to get punished afterwards. And so he tells us, he goes, I bet you're all looking at me like I'm crazy right now. And we're kind of, you know, we're not going to say anything bad. You know, we don't get punished. But he's like, what about if I told you that only I identified that a a gas bomb had been thrown into the room, but it was only lethal up to half a foot off the ground. Mm-hmm. And I just saved all of your lives. Mm-hmm. What about that? And we're like, oh, okay. You know, that makes sense. And he's like, that's the level of training that I need to get you guys to. Mm-hmm. So that way, when now we're at a situation of where, you know, you're in a firefight and it's time to get up, the charge order has been given. You got, you got to go. You, you got to get up. And they really kind of, beat that into your head mm-hmm. sometimes even physically yeah they beat that into you so that when it's go time and when you got to get up and charge which is basically i'm laying now undercover and you know the the threat's up there and, and there's I'm, bullets flying yeah and i'm gonna get you don't want to go you don't want to go that way and off i go right and that's the level one point that they get you to wow wow which is you know crazy mm-hmm. i think you know in this day and age though and you know this is a little sad for me to see because our soldiers, they're, 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 their hands are tied. And, you know, you just see, because what's happening is, is that a lot of the, you know, and they're justified shootings, you know, soldiers, civilians are getting into trouble. Right. And it's coming to the point of where, you know, in some cases, soldiers are afraid to shoot. Hesitant. They're hesitant. Act. And we can't have that. You mm-hmm. know, we, we can't have a scenario where our soldiers are now in danger. Their lives are in danger. Mm-hmm. And they're just going off and they're afraid to pull the trigger when needed. And mm-hmm. that's 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 a bad scenario. We, right. 
that needs to change 100%. Right. Well, we're changing all the time. True. We're, we're making those changes on the fly, like you back when you were in the Army. So hopefully, you know, with God's help, we'll, uh, that'll happen. Oh uh, wow, Ari! I, an hour just flew by. Well, that's that was yeah, an hour. I was I just took a peek. An hour just flew by. Um, I'd love to chat with you a little bit more. Maybe I'm just gonna hit you with one or two more questions. Yeah, go for it. Um, Aliyah, moving to Israel. So, nine years old, you come, you acclimate. What do you think um, became like one of the things that you loved about the land? Like, just kind of like pick one thing. One of the things compared to like your previous life. Um, that that kind of like made it nice, like a bonus being here? I would say it would definitely be the fact that there is our history everywhere. You know, I remember a lot of the highways that we have today didn't exist. And it was like every other day that during the course of like excavating some sort of road or building site, and, you know, they were finding whether it was, you know, antiques, or bones, and these are things dating back thousands of years. Yeah, it's pretty neat. And it was like, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like, this is not something you'd ever get in Canada or in the U.S. <laughs> right. It's literally our history. Also the connection that you have to, yeah. that, to those things. So I, I have a deep love from the land. There's nowhere in the world that I would live. You know, as much as, you know, life is difficult here sometimes, there is nowhere else in the world that I would rather live than here. And... I've just, I don't know, I've just always had this deep connection with, you know, the country and being here and then, you know, being in the army and, you know, being out there, you know, in the pouring rain or in very uncomfortable situations, but knowing, you know, people can sleep better at night because I'm standing out here. That is something I'm absolutely willing to do. So that's, yeah, I would say one thing is just the history everywhere. I envy that part. The fact that you got to do your service and the way you look at that, it's mamash beautiful. One last question. <clears throat> why Efrat? When did you come here and why? All right. So why Efrat? So, why did you stay? So about Three questions. There you go. All right. <laughs> why did I come? So I moved to Efrat uh, almost 13 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I knew a bunch of people at the time um, and I was looking for, you know, a younger. Got a whole cover in here. Yeah, look at that. Nice. I had a uh, younger, you know, I, I was looking for a younger community, you know, Anglo, Hebra, and everything like that. Mm -hmm. And somewhere where, you know, like, same type people like myself, you know, young parents, um, you know, just kind of want to work hard. And then, you know, during the weekends, enjoy themselves, you know, kiddish club, playing <laughs> basketball, watching wow, football. You do sound like the American guy. Yeah, right? Okay. And it's funny because, you know, people like, people don't believe me when I say that I've been here for as long yeah, as I have. Yeah, it was a shocker for me, to be honest. I didn't know that. And uh, and it's, you 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 have that Anglo, um, I don't know, uh, vibe, that experience. But you, you're you practically a Sabra here. No, I, I am. But the funny <laughs> thing is that I still have an Anglo accent on my Hebrew. Yeah. Which oh, is that's crazy. Great. <laughs> you know, I came here as a nine-year-old. Yeah. People like... To be like, oh, so how long could yeah. you make Aliyah? And they're expecting the answer to be like, you know, right. three to five years. I'm like, right. oh, I've been here for almost, you know, 30 years now. And they're like, what? Wow. So why a front? Getting back to yeah. that. So um, I had a bunch of friends here. Uh, moved out here. Why stay? I mean, why not stay? Yeah. I mean, look at this place. It's beautiful. We win awards all the time for the beauty of, you know, how clean and how organized everything is. The schools here, you know, top to bottom from nursery all the way through high school, boys and girls, 
are incredible. You know, our schools win awards all the time for how good they are. Mm. And, you know, we're so close to Jerusalem and, you know, just it's beautiful here. So why not? You know, I love living in the Ramon. You know, the, the Ramon gets a bad rap. It's like, oh, only old people live in the Ramon. Oh, it's the OGs, whatever. Right. Well, so, you know what? I love- I'm actually really happy. I have someone representing the Ramon. Yeah. I, I think I, I, I maybe have had one other uh a uh, couple on from that side of town. So it's really important. I've had mostly northern neighborhoods people here. So it's good to have people from the south. And happy to represent. <laughs> and, you know, it's so funny because, like, you know, even, like, the older people, like, these guys are, like, the coolest people you oh, ever met. Oh, my gosh. Ever met. You know, these are guys when you, you know, if you, you know, I'm a huge sports guy. And, like, these are guys who got to see some of the greatest players, name a sport. <laughs> and these are, like, legends in our mind. And they got, they saw them play in right. person. And I think that's really cool. That is cool. I, I've never heard such foul language in a show before <laughs> prior to, you know, going to Davin with these guys. And they're just so funny and so cool and like live and let live. And we actually have a nice young Hevra going on there. And, you know, I love it. And I I'm really believe that as the northern neighborhoods fill in more and more, which is happening uh, after everything's being built, um, that younger couples will start coming back to this side of town because there'll be more affordable housing. And plus, I mean, these neighborhoods are really established already. They have all this foliage and these trees and, and the shade um, and the infrastructure, you know, good uh, parks and Ghanim. So uh, I, I think in the next few years, I really believe that uh, more younger families, I don't know, what do you call a young family? I don't know. With like I, know few, I guess, you know, late little, 20s, yeah, early yeah. 30s. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that, that they'll be coming back to the southern neighborhoods. Well, they will know? be. And by the and way, I'm sure they are. <laughs> they are already. And you, you know what? It's us. funny because where we're sitting in this very spot, yeah. they're actually building a new project right here. It's right. going to have 32 units, right. uh, size unknown. There's a right. lot of, uh, you know, different opinions on what the project's going to be. And like any project in Israel, the idea and the design is going to change about 80 times between now and when <laughs> they finally start building. But, you know, that to me is amazing, yeah. you know. And what I love about the Rimon and this side of Efrat in general is it feels like a shoes. Mm. You know, you go into Zayed, and again, no knock on Zayed, but it's like hard enough. It's a concrete jungle. It's mm-hmm. so, there's so many buildings everywhere. Mm-hmm. And here it's like you walk around on Shabbat and there's so many trees. That's a nice neighborhood. Green. And it's Little quiet. Yeah. And I love that. You know, I work very hard. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to know that, like, you know, downtime is just quiet. Mm. I got my corner. And I love that. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. We're going to have to do this again. There's so yes, much more I need I'd, to learn about you. <laughs> I'd love to do this again. Thank you so great much for joining us. Thank and you. Um, uh, yeah, it's wishing you a great week. And you as well. if you like this podcast, please subscribe to YouTube and any podcast platform that you are subscribed to because we're there everywhere, basically. So thank you so much and have a great day. And make sure to leave a nice five-star review for my man over here. And one last shout-out, make Aliyah. <laughs>